Hello, and welcome to the podcast for Neighborhood Church. This message, titled, No Word Like God's Word, was given by Larry Vold and was the third in our series, Transformational Church, Churches That Produce Transformed People. So listen, if you haven't already done so, find your sermon outline and open your Bible, please, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, please. Now you'll find that on page 1838 in that book rack Bible. You might have an iPad or an iBook or you might have a phone that has scripture in it. Whatever you've got, that's fine. Uh, Just don't let your phone ring. That's all I ask during the service. 1 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 16. So we're looking at characteristics of transformational churches and we are suggesting that this little book, five chapters written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Thessalonica after his visit to them on his second missionary journey, became a transformational church. This was a church that just was amazing. Uh, The characteristics about this church, I'm suggesting, are characteristics of transformational churches. And we said two weeks ago when we started this series that transformational churches have members whose faith in Jesus Christ is real and contagious. Remember that? So is that, is that where you are? Because if you are, then you're helping us to be a transformational church. If you're not, then uh, you're taking away the power of transformation here in this place. They have members, church, transformational churches have members whose faith in Jesus Christ is real and contagious. Secondly, we learned last week that transformational churches have leaders whose lives are worthy of imitation. And I don't know about you today, but I'm looking for leaders in my life that live lives of imitation, that I can follow, that I can feel genuinely encouraged by their life in Christ. And we all here at Neighborhood Church, we want to pray for leaders to be that. We want our leaders to be that. I put myself, last week we popped the hood on our pastoral staff. We say, okay, this is who we are supposed to be according to the Word of God. So are we living those things out? That's what this book is teaching us. It's helping us to see sort of the nitty-gritty of what makes a church truly transformational. And we started this whole series saying, you know, sometimes there's a little bit of an underbelly in churches that we're not really uh, willing to admit to. And I shared some very personal, difficult stories of people that have had things happen to them at Neighborhood Church that reminded me that not all of us are being transformed by the power of Christ. There are some of us that come for other motives, other reasons. In fact, just this morning, I got another story. Someone came to me between services and they were mortified that there was a young man in our service, first service. It was his first time here today. Uh, he comes to our evening service. I know him. I know, of who, I know who he is. He's a young man, Christ follower, wonderful young man. Uh, but someone stopped him in our lobby and said, you're, did you know that because you wear earrings, you're going to go to hell? Man, I wanted to find that person. Seriously. That is no joke. I don't, know, I, I don't know how people can say something like that. That happens in churches. That, happens, that happened today here, and I'm ashamed of that. And the person who said that, if they're in this service right now, you need to repent and come to Jesus Christ. You need to come to Jesus Christ so, so that you, your, your words can be encouraging to people wherever they are in their spiritual journey. I I doubt that young man will ever come to a morning service again. I hope he will. But I don't know. If if that were you, how would you feel? 
What's going to happen when I come to this service? So, you know, we have, to, we have to really, really think. Now, that's an extreme. I know some of you are kind of upset right now, and you're going to want to get out and, like, find this person, you know. <laughs> but, no, I, I love Howard Hendricks. He used to, <laughs> Howard Hendricks was a, a preacher, and he was a pastor for many years, and he was a prophet at uh, Dallas Seminary. And he used to have this saying, which I loved. He said, wherever there's light, there's bugs. Just think about what that means. So this is, this is a, a Christian church. This is where we worship Jesus Christ. This is where we want to learn from God's word. But because there is light here, the light's going to attract bugs. And sometimes those bugs come in and they, they experience the beautiful gospel story and they come to know Jesus Christ. And other times, bugs just like to come in and, and sting people, I guess, or something. So that's just what happens. And so, you know, that, that's... Part of why this series is being done because we want to be a transformational church, amen? We want to be a church that, that sets uh, the gospel in motion in people's lives and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So with that in mind, let's now take the scripture and let's see what another element of transformational churches are, okay? If you have the strength to do so, would you stand with me as I read this passage? Chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. All right, here we go. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. For you, brothers, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own countrymen the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to all men in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray now, Lord, for your word to have power and speak among us and in us and through us. I pray, Lord, that you will hide me, that you will be heard I pray that the Holy Spirit will illuminate these truths from Scripture so that all of us will be transformed. And I pray, God, for anyone today who's here that needs a relationship with you, has never met you, never known your grace, I pray that today by your wonderful grace you would draw someone to yourself. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Okay. So today what we want to learn in our text is that transformational churches have a noticeable connection between the Word of God and four things. Now, maybe you saw that a little bit in the text there. The theme of this paragraph is the power of the Word of God. It's, it's what the Word of God does in transformational churches. And what I want to point out to you very simply, very briefly this morning, is I want to point out the noticeable connection in transformational churches to the Word of God and four things. Are you right? ready? Here you go if you're taking notes. First of all, the noticeable connection between the Word of God and its priority among leaders and members. The priority of the Word of God. Just say that. The priority of the Word of God. This is the first connection point that we see right here in verse 13. Paul begins this letter with thanksgiving, verse one, chapter 1, verse 3, because he remembered what happened to them when God's word had come to them. And here we zero in on this important element of their experience. He said, when we brought you the word of God, you accepted it, you received it as the word of God. Not as the word of men, but you received it as the word of God. 
So let's just really get down to the bottom line. In transformational churches, people see the word of God for what it really is. It's the word of God. We're not coming here to listen to the words of men. We're not trying to come and listen to like self-styled propaganda. We're not listening for the wisdom of this age. We're not trying to put ourselves into contemporary philosophy. We're not looking for cutting-edge contemporary thinking. We're not looking for the wisdom of men. We're looking for God's word. This is why we're here. This is what happens in transformational churches. In transformational churches, the word of God is sought, it's taught, it's read, it's proclaimed, it's revered, it's memorized, it's meditated upon among the leaders and the members alike. That's what happens in transformational churches. I've been to churches where there wasn't one Bible verse read. I've been in services where the pastor never opened the scripture. I've been in places where you would think there would be the message from God's Word, and you got a a clever idea from a person, and it had humor, and it had fun things in it, and it even might have resonated with some issues of truth, but there was no, thus saith the Lord. There was no God in it. There was no Word of God. Now, I think at Neighborhood Church, we're familiar enough with that, and we don't, I don't say this boastfully, it's really humbly that we would say this, that God has given us his word and that everything we do stems from and is headed toward and through the word of God. If it doesn't come from the word of God, we don't want to be a part of it. If we can't substantiate what we're doing with scripture, we don't want to be a part of it. We want to be a part of what the Word of God has to say. We want God's Word to be central in our lives. And I think the best gift a pastor can bring to his congregation is the teaching, the faithful teaching of the Word of God. Uh, I get to do a lot of seminars with pastors at times. I teach on preaching. I talk about this theme, and it's a privilege. It's an honor to do that. And yet it's sort of like a, 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 it's becoming a famine in the churches across our country. I get emails from people that say, can you tell me where a church is that will teach and preach the Word of God? Now, once in a while, some of you leave neighborhood church, and you, you know, you're moving, you're job transfer, you're going somewhere, and it's always funny how people will come up to me and they'll ask me uh, about maybe a church that they could attend. Like, I'm moving to Topeka, Kansas. Could you give me a name of a church there? You know, and it's just like I've got this Rolodex of church names in every city, and I just say, oh, yeah, yeah, Topeka, yeah, and there it is. You know, no, I, I don't have that kind of, once in a while I get it right. Once in a while somebody is going to a town where I know a pastor, a church that I can really recommend there. But I don't always have that knowledge. But what I tell people is this. I say, if you're going to another church somewhere, if you're, if you're moving out of the area, even if it's just in the, you know, the Bay Area, but you can't come to neighborhood, you want to be in a place where your neighbors, you can invite them to church, where you're not driving hours to get there. We have some people that come to neighborhood from the Valley. They come from Modesto. We have North, uh, North Bay. We've got people that come out of the... Uh, as far as Petaluma to neighborhood church at times, I, I think, wow, I want to encourage people to find a local church in their area. It's a blessing when people want to drive that far and want to be a part of things. That's beautiful. And if you're out of the area, I'm not trying to discourage you. But I'm just saying, sometimes people say, you know, uh, the commute's getting a little long, or I want to be in a place where I can, our kids can invite their friends and all that kind of thing, and it might even be out of this immediate area. And so if you're looking for a church, I always tell people, look for a church that, number one, teaches and preaches the Word of God. If you visit a church and the Bible isn't mentioned, that's not the place for you. And I, I would hope you would get that immediately as someone that came from neighborhood church, that we love the Word of God. We teach through the books of the Bible. We teach through the topics that the Bible talks about. And we root that in Scripture. And we go every place where the Scripture talks about those things. I love what Paul said 
uh, to the church at Ephesus in Acts 20. He said, for I have not hesitated, this is when he's leaving Ephesus, he says, I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God, and now I commit to you I commit you to God and to the word of his grace which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. That's Acts 20, 27, and 32. This is what Paul was saying. He's saying, look, we, as long as we've been with you, it's been about the word of God. And why? Because the word of God reveals the person of Jesus Christ, right? So apart from the word of God, we don't get a revelation of Jesus Christ. We don't see a clear picture of who he is. And even today as we read this text where we don't see a lot about the life of Jesus, we see a lot about what the life of Jesus has done to transform the lives of the apostles and how his church is all about uh, the word of God and how the word of God is being propagated there in Thessalonica. So I just share this with you as a reminder that if if the word of God is not a priority in your life as an individual, then in a way you're kind of taking away from the transformative power of neighborhood church. Um, maybe a couple other passages. We could read these out loud together. 1 Timothy 4.13, Paul said this to Timothy. Read it with me. He said, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. He's saying, Timothy, keep your eyes in the book. Let the Word of God direct your ministry. 1 Timothy 5.17, Paul reminded the church at, at uh, Uh, at Ephesus uh, through Timothy he said the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor especially those whose work is preaching and teaching thanks thanks for reading that along with me Uh, second Timothy 316 again let's read that one all scripture is God breathed and useful for teaching rebuking correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work and then Lastly, James 1.22, it's a familiar verse where James writes, he says, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. So you can even be in a church where the word of God is being preached, where everywhere you go, whether it's in a student ministries or an adult ministry class, everywhere you go, you're hearing the word of God. It's one of our values at Neighborhood Church, the word of God, the propagation of truth in the word of God. But watch this, you can be a part of all that And if you're not actually doing the word of God, if you're not obeying the word of God, then you're really not adding to the transformative power of the scripture in your own life too. Uh, I was doing some station rounds. I'm Alameda County Fire Chaplain. And so on Thursday, I was doing some station rounds. And I came to a station where there was a firefighter. There was an engineer. And so he had his engine running. You know, they have to do this, all these little, you know, mechanical deals every now and then. And he's sitting in the, in the, bay where the where the engine would normally be and he's reading a book well I didn't really pay too much attention it was kind of loud and I and so I just figured I'll come back and talk to him later I went upstairs talked to some of the crews up there and as I was leaving I just noticed this big big thick book and I said what are you reading and he said it's it's I just got a new car and this is my owner's manual and I said let me see that thing so I look at it and it's like as thick as a bible it's huge and so I said, you know, this Sunday I'm going to be talking about how the Bible is our owner's manual, you know. And I could see the little wheels turning in his mind. He's said, okay, chaplain, uh-oh, here we go, you know, that kind of thing. I just like, like, you know, lobbing little things now and then, letting people hear. But, you know, as I thought about that, and I was talking to my good friend Harry not too long ago, and he's, he's a, a mechanic, he's a master mechanic at a, at a dealership in Oakland, and he was saying how, you know, all the stuff you have to learn, manuals and manuals of things that, that all the engine compartments, and isn't it amazing when you have a car, you get this manual, it's like the stick. 
And most of us just keep it in the glove box, right? And then when something breaks, we're kind of thumbing through. We don't know where to go. That's such a simple way to think about the way we live our Christian lives. A lot of us do. We don't really look at the manual. This is really the owner's manual. Um, I love what one little child said. I know what the word Bible means, and he spelled it out, B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. I like that. It's a simple little way to remember what the Bible means, basic instructions before leaving earth. This is where we find our instructions. And yet a lot of us just pop it in the glove, department, glove compartment. We're not really looking at it. Something crisis happens in our life. Oh, no, I know the Word of God. It must have an answer somewhere. And we just kind of open it randomly. And we might read something there that sounds really strange to us. And, Lord, I wish you would speak to me. You see, it's when you understand the whole of Scripture. That's why it's important to keep reading through Scripture. That's why it's important to be in a good Bible study. Why it's important to come to a church that teaches the Bible. You may have never studied the book of 1 Thessalonians. By the time we're done with it, I hope you'll have some big picture ideas about this book and there'll be some verses that will resonate in your heart and all of that has to do with the priority of the word of God in our lives that's the first connection I see between the word of God and its membership secondly I see this connection between the word of God and the power it has to change our lives say that with me the power it has to change lives I see this at the end of verse 13. If you're taking notes, you might want to underline this little phrase here where Paul says at the end of verse 13, he says, but what it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. That little phrase there, which is at work in you who believe. Would you underscore that, underline that in your own Bible there? And just ask yourself the questions you're underlining that. Where do I see the word of God at work in my life? This past weekend, it was at work in my life thinking about my role as a husband. Because we, we sat before tremendous Bible teaching that wove through this beautiful seminar a continual foundation from the Word of God based on Ephesians 5.33 that wives ought to love their husbands unconditionally and husbands ought to and wives, husbands ought to love their wives unconditionally. You can tell I went to the seminar. And, and wives are to respect their husbands unconditionally. Just that little phrase was woven through all of Scripture, from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Tons, dozens and dozens of Scripture texts where we were sitting and thinking about. And so this weekend, the Word of God has been sharpening my role as a husband and challenging me in areas where I had to confess things to my wife and say, man, I'm, just, I'm not doing well in this area of my life, or I think you're doing amazing here, and I have not you know, encouraged you enough in those areas. So the Word of God sort of comes in and begins to challenge us and change us. And I like how, um, I like, like how Paul writes in Colossians. He says, let the Word of Christ be at home in your hearts. You know that verse? Colossians 3, uh, somewhere a little bit after 12, 13, right in there. Uh, let the Word of Christ, no, actually it's further down. Uh, where is it? Colossians 3. Uh, verse 16, let the word of Christ, it's right there, it's the same page, we're open, First Thessalonians, uh, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, as you teach with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. That little phrase, let, it be at, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, let it be at home in your heart, that's a domestic idea, it's the idea of letting, letting the word of Christ move the furniture around in your life. You know, sometimes you get tired of the way your living room is, I want to change it up. 
You want to do some decoration, you change it up. You move things. Why? Because it's your house. You want to move it around. That's what the Word of God does in our hearts. It moves things around. It says, not a good thing you're doing right here. Or this is a really good thing. You need to do this more in your life. These are the things that the Word of God does. It affirms us. It challenges us. It changes us. It moves us. And here at Neighborhood Church, we're all about life transformation through following Christ, right? That's our purpose. Uh, But apart from the Word of God, we wouldn't know how to follow Christ. Jesus said, go into all the world, make disciples in my name, baptizing them, teaching them to follow all the commands I've given you. Listen, if we don't have the Word of God richly dwelling within us, life transformation is going to be really thin in our lives. That's why we need to always be before the Word of God. I love Jesus' high priestly prayer that is recorded for us in John 17. And in verse 17, we, we hear the words Jesus say to his heavenly Father. He says, sanctify them in the truth, for your word is truth. It's a beautiful reminder to us that it is the word of God that is what sanctifies us. Big word, sanctification, what does it mean? It means to be set apart. It means to be transformed. It means to no longer be the way we used to be. And Jesus, to his heavenly Father, is praying for you and me that our lives would be sanctified, set apart, transformed by the word of God. Why? Because it's truth. It's truth. Once the word of God gets in, it takes over. It begins to move the furniture around in our lives. And by the way, Satan hates the fact that you would ever spend time in God's word. And, and isn't it interesting, whenever you decide to get serious about Bible study, all the distractions and all the things that happen, I don't think it's always coincidental. I mean, just as, as soon as you decide to get serious with the Word of God, you set a time aside. It just, it's amazing how many things where if you just wanted to watch the tube or if you just wanted to go on your computer, no problem. But when you're going to open the Word of God, man, the phone is ringing, people want to get to you, there's things going down, melting down, all kinds of stuff. Why is that? I think it's not coincidental. The more you get the word of God in your heart, believer, the more the Holy Spirit has to work with in your life. For example, Psalm 119, 9 and 11 tells me that the word of God protects me from sin. Thy word I've hid in my heart, David wrote, that I might not sin against God. So when I'm in the word of God, the Holy Spirit is always using the word of God to arm me and protect me against temptation. And when temptation comes to deal with it in a way that is proactive. It also strengthens me when, when I'm wearisome or sorrowful. Psalm 119, 28 talks about that. Uh, it guides me by becoming a light to my path. Psalm 119, 105 says that. Thy word is a light unto my feet, a lamp unto my path. It's the source of blessing, prosperity in the riches of Christ. Psalm 1. Uh, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night, speaking of the one who is blessed by God. It is the true source of, of uh, success and spiritual prosperity. I'm not talking about financial prosperity, but spiritual prosperity. Joshua 1.8, God said that if you keep your head in this book and not veer to the right or the left, you will have success wherever you go. And we could go on and on with promises given in the Word of God as to how it guides us, how it directs our path, how it strengthens us, how it helps us in times of being weary. And why would we not just direct our lives to it? Because it will do these things as we trust the Lord. Now, apart from this connection, seeing the power of Christ through the Word of Christ in our lives, the church becomes more like a social club where we get together to find our preferences met 
or like a country club where our consumerism mentality seeks to answer only the things that we want and we don't think about people are on the outside. And a lot of people, and maybe some in a crowd this size, look more at the church like a social club or a country club than it would be in looking at it as a place of spiritual preparation, a spiritual armory, a spiritual prep, uh, a war room talk. We're going to get ready to go back out on our mission field. We're going to get charged up today. We're going to remind ourselves what we're all about. We're all about life transformation. We know we need the Word of God. We believe this is the Word of God. Let's trust it. There might be a temptation you're going through today, a trial you're going through today, where the Word of God is wanting to speak into your life. And your life is being transformed by that truth. I want to encourage you today to see the Word of God that, this way. In doing so, your life will mirror what transformational churches mirror. The connection between the Word of God and its priority among its members and leaders and its power to change lives. You know, when I talk to someone who's deciding to stay in a hard marriage because of the Word of God's command that God hates divorce, and I'm not talking about in a situation where maybe there's abuse going on, physical abuse, or where your life is in harm's way. I'm talking about where there's just a grittiness in that relationship. It's not flowing the way it used to flow. You're not real happy. Or there might even be suspicion of things. I talked to someone earlier this week who was dealing with some very, very difficult things. But her heart is being arrested by the fact that she knows that God lifts up marriage as his plan. And so she's saying, as hard as this is, I want to hang in there. I want to do all that I can do to follow Christ. Listen, that's the kind of transformation we're talking about. When a young person comes and says, you know, I'm tired of living a compromised life. I don't want to be a chameleon, live this way with my friends. The word of God is speaking to me about leaving some things in my life all on their own by being in God's word. God's word has been speaking to their hearts. That's the kind of life transformation we're talking about. When somebody realizes that they've been taking their finances and resources and sort of hoarding it on themselves and they read God's word and they realize they're to be stewards, that everything they have belongs to God and they're to be resourcing his kingdom and they come and they say we want to be generous when we write the check, when we give the offering and as, as often as the case at Neighborhood Church, there's so many ways that we can give and support financially bless you. That's the spirit of the living God that moves in our hearts that says, I don't own anything. It all belongs to God. And I want to give and support God's work. Those are just a few examples, but there's examples of life transformation that happens when we say, it doesn't matter what happens to my life. I'm going to trust Christ. I'm going to follow his word. And if that's your life, and if that's our corporate existence as neighborhood church, then we're on the way of being a transformational church because that's one of the connection points. That's what Paul says right here. This work in you, the work that the Word of God does in you that believe. Number three, there's a connection between not only the priority of the Word among people and leaders, the power of transformation, but also third, the price people are willing to pay for submitting to it. Say it with me, the price people are willing to pay for submitting to it. Now, this is an unpopular part of the Christian faith. I'm going to give you the heads up right away. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm embarrassed that it's not more a part of our culture, the Christian culture. We believe that, we believe that when you follow Christ, if you're going to follow him according to his word, guess what? You're going to suffer for it. Did you hear me? You're going to suffer for it. If you're going to live according to this book, your life at times is going to pay a price couple 
weeks ago, we had a baptismal service, and I think I've referenced this young lady a couple times because it's just so strong in my mind of the kind of price that she's paid to follow Christ. She comes out of a background of Islam, she told us that Sunday morning. Uh, her family is steeped in Islam. She's the only Christian in her whole family. She came to neighborhood church because something inside of her heart was saying, I just have to investigate what those crosses represent. And she came up here and she started listening and listening more. And within just a few weeks of being here, the Lord wonderfully opened her heart, revealed to her the gospel of Jesus Christ, that while sinners, she could be saved. And she wonderfully, easily gave her life to Jesus Christ. And so she wanted to be baptized. We heard her story. But she told me, and maybe you didn't get it that day, I don't think it even came out through the testimony that she gave, but she said her family got wind of the fact that she'd become a Christ follower, and her father told all of her siblings and told her that we are no longer alive to you. You cannot talk to us. There is no relationship. You are dead to us. Now, all the while, as hard as that may be, because she loves her family, she says, you know, God has just put me like in this beautiful little bubble of, of comfort, that I've got peace in my heart, I'm praying for my family to come to know Christ, and it's just such a beautiful thing, and I've reminded her, and she already knows, she has a big family, we're her family, we're her brothers and sisters, and we want to support her and love her and be as, as very much a part of her family as her earthly family would be. And that's, to me, the way the New Testament church oftentimes had to function. People giving their lives to Christ, watch this, immediately lost credibility in their culture. They lost jobs. They lost uh, wherewithal to live. They lost housing. There was such a huge backlash of people that gave their lives to Jesus. First century Rome. And that a lot of times in our comforts of the Western world that believes in all these freedoms and praise God for the freedoms, but we take for granted the fact that we can sit here this morning, we can go back out to our jobs, and yes, there's sometimes this little reluctance, there's sometimes the brush of people that say, oh, you're one of those Christ followers, but most of us are not losing our families and losing our jobs and losing our places of residence because we follow Christ. And this is sort of what Paul's talking, this is not sort of, this is what Paul's talking about to the Thessalonians. He's saying all the trouble that you're experiencing is no different from every other church and every other Christ follower that has ever lived. If you live for Christ, eventually you will pay a price for that. Remember when Paul was going through the, the cities that he had ministered to in Acts, in Acts 14.22, let's put that on the screen, just read this out loud with me. He went through the cities strengthening the disciples and encouraging them. Are we there? Do we have it? That's all right. It doesn't matter. Uh, Acts 14, 22. He went through the city strengthening and discipling and encouraging them to remain true in the faith, telling them we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And so as a pastor, I want to be faithful to the word of God. And I want to tell you that you will enter many hardships or you will go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. That doesn't mean you're going to go through hardships to get saved it means that when you're saved and you follow the word of God, you're going to go through hardships. You're going to go through hardships. It's part of what it means to follow Christ. Anyone who lives for Christ is going to suffer for it. Paul wrote that to Timothy. He said that in so many different places. The price, 2 Timothy 3.12, all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And the scriptures are replete just over and over reminding us that if we're going to follow Christ, we're going to pay the price.
So it may be a price in a relationship that you have. It may be the price of a financial deal that you can't go through with because it's going to be dishonest. There's a little shade of, uh, of uh, no integrity, and so you're going to say no. Or you're not going to take a job because in that job, there's sort of an underbelly of things that you can't fully support, and so you're going to say no to. All of those things have cost association. And as a follower of Christ, there are times where that's going to just come, we're going to be in the crosshairs of that. And I just want to be faithful to the Word of God. I don't want to give you some flowering generality. Just come to Jesus. Everything's going to be great in your life. No, that's not the case. Come to Jesus and your life will be restored and you'll have eternal uh, relationship with the living God. But you may suffer all kinds of crazy things as a result of following him. Don't be afraid. The Lord will give you courage and the strength in the moment you need it. I think of a brother in Christ who right now is in prison because of something that happened before he came to Christ. And he came to Christ wonderfully four years ago and has been following the Lord Jesus Christ. But some of his activities before he came to know Christ, uh, he just gave to the Lord and that popped back up on the radar. He was brought in. He's in prison right now. He may be facing an, an enormous sentence. But you know what? He's on his face in the word of God, trusting God, trusting his word, believing that this is part of what God's plan is for his life. And willing to accept it because This is obviously the hand of God for his life right now. Wow, crazy stuff. So there's these three connections, and now I want to give you a fourth. The first one is its priority among members and leaders. The secondly is the power to change lives. The third noticeable connection is what? The price you pay for following the word of God. And lastly, the passion people have to share it. The passion people have to share it. Um, there's something about the New Testament church that is just passionate about getting the Word of God. And I, I want to key in on verse 16 where Paul, in the midst of talking about the hostility that happened there in Thessalonica, and you remember in Acts 17, the hostility that took place. He says in verse 16, in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. There was this collective surge of debunking the Apostle Paul's message so that the Gentiles wouldn't be saved. But Paul was relentless, as were the other apostles, as was the church at Thessalonica, relentless in preaching and teaching and proclaiming the Word of God. There's a passion that comes with knowing the gospel and knowing the Word of God that comes in wanting to share it. And some of us, we know the first time we've ever shared a verse of Scripture with somebody, the joy that lights up in our hearts. I got to share a Scripture with somebody. We get excited about it. You know why? Because we know that it's the Word of God that changes people's lives. Changes people's lives. And without the Word of God, what do we have to say? Well, when we share Scripture, when we share our testimony and bring a Scripture, and there are people that try to muzzle us, and our culture is saying, keep it in the church. You know, freedom, not freedom of religion, freedom from religion. That's what now is the common statement in today. It's really been twisted. We've got freedom to choose the the religious faith that we want to follow. Now the culture is saying, no, we we want freedom from religion. We don't want anyone that has religion to be speaking about that in a public place. We don't want anybody to be speaking in a work environment. We Just shut up, be quiet, stay away. And that's what's happening in our culture. It's not dissimilar to what we read about right here in this passage. But look at how Paul ends this thing, and we'll close here. He says, in this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit 
and the wrath of God has come upon them at last. Uh, really, the literal translation there, uh, that last word last, probably better fully, meaning the wrath of God has come upon them in full dimension. What Paul's saying here is that even though people try to quiet us down, try to shut us up, they're just heaping up sin where God's going to finally say at one point, that's enough, no more. And so if you're trying to share Christ with people, and I don't mean you're being obtruse or you're, you know, standing up in your workplace, everybody, I've got an announcement to make, you know, that kind of, I'm not talking about that kind of craziness. I'm talking about if, if people are trying to quiet you down, muzzle you, then just give that to God and let God deal with it because the sin of that rebellion, God is going to one day say, that's enough. And God has already paid the price for all those sins when he put the wrath meant for all of sin in the world on his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And it is on Jesus that all of God's wrath falls, his perfect justice and his perfect mercy coming together at the cross of Jesus Christ. God for lost sinners like you and me, giving his very life so that we could have life. And so Paul's just kind of reminding them, you know what, just keep speaking it, keep sharing it. This is what we did. That's what the church continues to do because the transformational church is passionate about getting the word of God out. That's why we love ministries that promote and declare the word of God. That's why we support Bibles around the world. That's why we believe that every Christian ought to have their scriptures, Bibles, and that's why we ought to read it every day. Remember the time that will change your life? So, let me ask you this. Are you living a transformed life? Is there a priority of God's word in your life today? Is there? Is there the power of God's word changing your life? Is there a price you're paying because you're obeying it? And is there a passion you have in your heart to get it out? Let's go to the Lord right now. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word and thank you for this teaching today. I know that for most of us, we already believe this, we already know this, but Lord, it's a good reminder for me. It's a great reminder to know, Lord, that I do not, my authority is only and ever from your word. I have no authority. It's your word that has authority. We trust you, Lord. Today, I pray for every person here that knows you, Lord, that this would be a message that would remind us of the centrality of the word of God in our lives. I pray also for the person who may not have a relationship with you that today might be the day that he or she would give their lives to you. And if that's you, wherever you are right now, you can open your life to Jesus Christ. He died for you and rose again so that you could have eternal life, so that you could live a new life. And if right here, right now, you need to give him your life, do it. Believe on him and be saved. The Bible says there's no work you can perform. There's no creed you must know. You must only believe that Jesus died and rose again from the grave and that he wants to live his life in and through your life. And today you can receive him. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time we've had together and for anyone who's coming to you right now or for any of us who are saying, Lord, I need to make your word a priority in my life. I pray, Lord, for every person that we will follow what your word has said today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear additional messages or you're interested in finding out more about Neighborhood Church, please visit our website at threecrosses.org. That's the number three, crosses.org.